Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Attention nerds. If you have a problem, if no one else can help, and if you can find them, maybe you can hire The Riley and Kimmy Show. The Riley and Kimmy Show. And welcome to this Tuesday edition of the Riley and Kimmy Show. If you are listening the day the show is uploaded, it is November 21st. Get ready for uh, Thanksgiving. It's just around the corner. Yeah, we're, we're ready for dinner. Right next to me is somebody who is ready for that turkey. Jimmy, I got one name. Jimmy. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. Everybody, 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 everybody. <laughs> Hi. Hi there. I am your host, Patrick Riley. You weigh 163 pounds. You are a very stupid fellow. And not likely to succeed. Yes, that is true all across the board right there. And the person who is succeeding is right next to me. That is Kimmy. Hello, Kimmy. Hello. Kimmy, I'm kind of curious. Being a Tuesday, uh, have you have you got the uh, the Thanksgiving dinner all ready to go? I mean, some people start preparing way out ahead of time. Um, I haven't noticed anything happening in our bat cave kitchen. Um, I, I don't see any preparations going on. Um, is there, of course not. Uh, is it going to be TV dinners again? Hungry Man well, TV dinners again. Oh, geez. Okay. I was I was waiting for our invites to come rolling in. Oh, that's right. Just that's let right. us know when what time to show up. Well, you know how how they are. Usually they wait till the last minute, right? Oh, that, yeah. That's yeah. when other people have canceled and we're like way down on the bottom of the list. That's we're, true. We are the backup category. You know? Right. It's always like, well, he's, oh, gee, we just got freaking. Are you? But you know they've had something going on with somebody else for a period of time. And that other person has canceled on him and probably two or three others have canceled too. And then maybe they... They try four or five other calls, and they're like, oh, man, we got to go. Yeah, it's Riley and Kimmy. Do you, do you really want to do this? And it's like, yeah, I guess. We haven't seen him in a while. We can put up with him for now. You know what? I know some of you who do that to us are actually listening right now. Give me back my DVDs. Yeah, you. You have my DVDs. I want my movies back. You know, so when you invite me to Thanksgiving dinner, just be, you know, yeah, and you don't even have to act like you've heard this episode, but I know you're listening right now. Just, you know. Right when you say, "Would you like some dressing with that?" and I say, "No, I can't have that because of the diet thing," and and I'll go, "What's this? Our DVDs? I didn't know you had them. See that? That'll be a nice thing to do, right, Kimmy? Mm. Yeah. Thank you, people. So you know, be sure to call us, right? Yeah. And matter of fact, I think we got some other things that have been loaned out too. So hey, uh, we're available for some other dates too. For, sure. the, for the rest of them that are listening with that. Thank you for checking out the Riley and Kimmy Show. If this is your first time listening. Thank you for making us part of your day. Matter of fact, you can make us part of every single day. We have a daily talk show, brand new shows, not just once in a while, not just every day when we feel like it. No, it's every single day, seven days a week, brand new things. We offer a new show all the time. Take us along, take us to work, take us wherever. Tell your friends you found a place like the Riley and Kimmy show that offers pop culture escapism. And thank you for making us part of your day on this Tuesday. Tuesday afternoon. I'm just beginning to see. Now I'm on my way. Yeah, 
That's right. Tuesday afternoon, Tuesday morning, Tuesday midday, midnight, whatever. You can listen to the Riley and Kimmy show any given time. And you can find archived episodes available. Also, celebrity interviews, videos, uh, oh boy, pictures, uh, links to things, our social media links so you can stay connected with us and communicate. All of that is available on our website. What is our web address, Kimmy? RileyandKimmy.com. RileyandKimmy.com. The Riley and Kimmy Show. Shall we play a game? That's a big question on this Tuesday. Uh, does Kimmy just have turkey on the mind and that possible invite? Wondering who's going to invite her, or is she ready to play nerd and pop culture trivia? Um, I'll try to focus. Okay, so you would like to play? I'd like to play. I'd like to point out the nerd timeline. The pop culture timeline has been adjusted. It's not in chronological or linear order. It's wacky like I am. It's all over the place. Feel free to shout out answers and help Kimmy. She believes in time travel answers. So yell at whatever computing device you're listening to the Riley and Kimmy show right now. And it could be anything because we are mobile. We are global. You can take us anywhere on planet Earth. You miss a little. You miss a lot with the Riley and Kimmy show. The year is 2003. This big-time music executive, this music promoter, the man who created the wall of sound, was charged with the murder of Lana Clarkson at his home. Happened the previous February. He pled innocent. Can you tell me who is behind bars right now, Kimmy? The person who created the wall of sound. Oh, boy. Big name. Huge. What's his initials? P.S. I can't think of it. Phil Spector. Yes. The year is what we're looking for, Kimmy. You have a plus or minus of one. Plus or minus of one year. Okay. In Los Angeles on this date at movie theaters... The premiere of this music video happened. Tell me the name of the video slash song. That is your clue. What is it? Thriller. The Thriller. Tell me the name of the recording artist. Michael Jackson. That's right. And what year did that premiere, that video premiere happen in Los Angeles? 1984. It's 1983. It's interesting. They released it in November, not closer to Halloween, but they were obviously pushing into the Christmas sales when they decided mm. to hit this thing. And they, they obviously did right. Uh, I don't think they, uh, they they missed the ball there, do you? Mm-mm. So on this date, Kimmy, we're looking for the year within two years. Tell us the name of this movie. It premieres in New York. It would win the best picture the following year. Here's your audio clue. (laughs) 
I think that's enough for a clue. Kimmy probably could have told me about like note one or two. What is the name of that film? Rocky. That's right. Starring whom? Sylvester Stallone. That's correct. What year did Rocky premiere um, within two years? 1976. Kimmy, you got it exactly right. I take it you have seen that film. Mm-hmm. All right, moving somewhere else on the timeline, it's time for us to go up in the air. Would you like to ride in my beautiful First flight, Kimmy, the first successful flight in a hot air balloon happened on this date. The pilots flew for 25 minutes and five miles over Paris. What century did this happen? Was it the 1600s, the 1700s, the 1800s, or the 1900s? The 1800s? It was the 1700s. They went up. It was 1783. Now, I know you've never been up in a hot air balloon, Mm-mm. but you do owe me a hot air balloon ride. That was part of a gift many years ago. I do have the certificate, that in the helicopter ride. Wouldn't that be something fun to do in Orlando? Because they launch, I believe, most mornings in Orlando. They go up, up, up. You know, they, they go up. Would you like to ride in my beautiful How about that, Kimmy? Mm-mm. Yeah. Huh? Yeah, come on, come on, 99 lift balloons. What do you think? Well, you agreed to do that. Come on, gonna do Mm-mm. it, uh, yeah, Kimmy? You you have to agree. What you you gotta Mm-mm. do? What you agreed to? What what Mm-mm. am I gonna do? Take you to court, Kimmy? Go ahead. <laughs> Judge Wapner will be on my side. I can guarantee it. Kimmy, the year is not what we're looking for. We're looking for the person. The year is 1877. This person announced that he created the phonograph. Here is his voice. On one of the devices that he did, this is truly his voice. Excuse the sound quality. Kimmy, can you tell me who the inventor was? Thomas Edison. That's right. Thomas Edison on this date, 1877. Now, if he had not created that, Kimmy, I would not have had one of my favorite gifts of all time. Hey, hey, it's close and play. Close the lid. The music plays like magic. Open the lid. The music stops like magic. See? No tone arm to handle. Just close and play. Close and play is so simple, even Nancy can have her own. Kenner's new improved close and play. One of the easiest to use photographs in the world. Play your 45 RPM records any place. It's battery operated. And remember, close and play is not for mom or dad or big sister. Kenner's close and play photograph is just for you. Hey, hey, it's close and play. Records not included. Yeah, I had one of those many years ago. Matter of fact, I'm actually looking for one now, Kimmy. Um, had an opportunity to bring one back to the Batcave. Did not take that opportunity, but I'd just love to have one of those because it actually influenced me on the career path that I took. Mm. And I survived falling downstairs with one in my hands. Knocked the wind out of me. I mean, this was an old, old home. 
big stairs, fell all the way down. Thing was playing the record, and it kept playing right in front of me because it fell out of my hands as I landed, you know, right down all the air, knocked right out of me, and it just kept playing. Still want one. I have that memory. I want that close and play. And by the way, if you'd like to see a close and play in action on our YouTube page, links right on our website at RileyandKimmy.com, we actually demoed a close and play. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty cool thing. Get to see it actually working, how it worked, the whole whole nine yards. Really cool item. So check that out. You can find that link right on our website at RileyandKimmy.com. The year is 1934. This team purchases the contract of Joe DiMaggio. They purchase it from San Francisco. Can you tell me the name of the team that buys the contract of Joe DiMaggio? And he would play there forever. The New York Yankees. That's right, in 1934. It's 1961, Kimmy, music question. This person began recording his first album. It is a self-titled album that was released March of 1962. Here is one of the tracks. Tell me who the recording artist is. Walking a road, other men have gone down. I'm seeing your world of people and things. Here, poppers and peasants and princes and kings. Can you tell me who that is with song to Woody, Kimmy? I don't know. Is it Bob Dylan? Is it? Yes, it is Bob Dylan. Kind of sounds like Dennis Hopper there to me, just for a few seconds. Or Dennis Hopper kind of sounds like Bob Dylan on the song to Woody, which was off the self-titled, you know, Bob Dylan album. And it was recorded on this date, started in 1961. One of those things I'll never understand. What's that? Oh, nothing. Okay, Kimmy, moving to another question in the world of music. This one combines music and film. This movie was released on this date, actually premieres on this date, 1963. The star of the film also had songs in the movie. Some of them ended up on an album. Tell me the name of the singer-actor, Kimmy. Here's the title to the film. Octopus. It's a day for fun. I can wait till I meet your sweet senoritas, kiss everyone. This is no time for siesta. This is time for fun. Fun in Alcapoco. That is the name of the song and the name of the movie. Who is the star and singer, Kimmy? Elvis Presley. Have you ever seen that movie? No, I haven't. There's always tomorrow, right? Yeah. The year is 1973. This person's attorney announced that there was an 18-minute gap in one of, well, recordings related to a certain case. Kimmy, tell me who is the person that had that 18-minute gap. Here's your audio clue. Well, I'm not a crook. I've earned everything I've got. Kimmy, who is it? Richard Nixon. Sock it to me? That's right. You've got it right. Give me 1973, the 18-minute gap. You probably don't know anything about that and those things. So we'll move on to something else in history. It was on this date in 1978. This person's second single was released. Not a chart song. Did not hit the charts. But see if you can identify his unique sound. The year is 1978. I'm just happy. When you're in these arms of mine 
Can you tell me who the recording artist is? Prince. That's right. Do you have that on vinyl or anything? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. The year is 1977. All in all, the eighth studio album by this group is released. It would become the Billboard Album of the Year in 1978. Here is one of the singles. Tell me the name of the group. Can you tell me who it is? Earth, Wind, and Fire. Yes, with the song Fantasy, which was on the Billboard Hot 100 at the peak position of only number 32. And it was on the Billboard Hot R&B songs list at number 12. Next question we have for you, Kimmy, revolves around the world of murder and TV. On this date in history, an estimated 83 million viewers turned into, well, this TV show to find out who shot somebody. My question for you is a two-part question. Tell me who they were wondering, you know, who got shot and and tell me who shot the person that got shot. And and then tell me what year this happened within two years. It's a actually three-part question. Can you tell me the TV show, first of all? Well, it was Dallas. That's right. And who was the person that got shot? J.R. Ewing. Did he live? Yeah. Okay, who who plugged him? Um, That was his niece. Um, What was her name? What was the name Kristen. of the character? Kristen. Yes, Kristen fired the gun. What year did this happen within two years? 1981. It was 1980 that that happened. Mm. You Dallas freak, you. It was on this date, staying in, well, actually in the year of 1980, but on this date, High Infidelity, the ninth studio album by this group, was released. Here's one of the singles. Tell me the name of the group. Can you tell me who that is, Kimmy? Ario Speedwagon. That's right, with Keep On Loving You from that album released on this date. Keep On Loving You, number one on the Billboard Hot 100. Did you ever see them perform in concert? Or how about anybody that you, maybe some of your older relatives, did they see them perform in Illinois, Wisconsin corridor before they got big? Uh, my relatives, yeah, not me. Okay, mm-hmm. moving to another question in the world of music. It was on this date, 1981. This single goes to number one, stays there for 10 weeks, Kimmy, at the number one spot. Tell me the name of the song. What is the name of that hit? Physical. Physical. 
And who had that as a hit in 1981? Olivia Newton-John. You're right. The year is 1987. Actress Demi Moore marries a certain actor. It happens at the Little White Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. Who does Demi Moore marry in 1987, Kimmy? 1987. An actor. Ashton Kutcher? In 1987. I think he was probably in kindergarten. Oh, 87. I think he was in kindergarten. I don't know what I was thinking. 87. (laughs) He was in kindergarten. I know, right? Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Bruce Willis. That is correct, Kimmy. The year is 1990. Model Jerry Hall marries this rock star. Who does she marry in 1990? Mick Jagger. That is correct. But get this. That marriage was later declared invalid. Declared invalid by the High Court of England and Wales in London in 1999. They have four children together. Hmm. Looking for the year, Kimmy, plus or minus of two years. This single is released. It would become the Billboard Song of the Year the following year and the Grammy Award for Best Pop Solo Performance two years after its release. Tell me the name of the song and who had it as a hit. Here's your clue. Here come bad news, talking this and that. Can you tell me the name of the song, Kimmy? Happy. Happy. Clap along if you feel like a room without a roof. Because I'm happy. Clap along if you feel like happiness is the truth. Because I'm happy. Clap along if you know what happiness is to you. Because I'm happy. Clap along if Kimmy, can you tell me who had that as a hit? Beryl? Yeah. Uh, we're just going to give it to you. You got something I didn't even think you were going to get. Farrell Williams had that as a hit. Happy. What year within two years? Um, 2014. And this is impossible. That is right, Kimmy. 2013. You got it right. It would win the Billboard Song of the Year in 2014. Grammy Award for Best Pop Solo Performance in 2015. And yes, it was in a certain movie. Despicable Me? Yeah, yeah, one of the Despicable Me movies. You, you got it exactly right. Still can't believe she got feral. She actually, I don't know how you did that. Kimmy, it's celebrity birthday time. Tell me why this person's on that list. It's uh, famous people here that uh, were born on this date in history. Born 1920. His name, Stan Musial. Why is he famous? He was a baseball player. That's correct, Kimmy. He was now a fielder and first baseman. He spent 22 seasons in Major League Baseball playing for what team? What is the team he played for? The Yankees. He played for the St. Louis Cardinals from 1941 to 1944 and then 46 to 63. Stan Musial passed away 2013 at the age of 92. Next person, an actor who has appeared in more than 200 TV shows and films combined. More than 200 of them since the early 1950s, Kimmy. He was part of season one of a certain TV show that it's amazing the show went to season two. They actually revamped it. 
and he was not part of season two and on. Identify the TV show. to any TV show of all time. It had that comic book feel to it. The the panel's going. Can you tell me the name of the TV show, Kimmy? Mannix? That's right, Mannix. This person was Joe Mannix's boss in the first season. They actually had a little bit different structure with Mannix. Mannix originally sort of worked for this spy agency, investigation agency. And it's kind of understandable because the creators of Mannix created Mission Impossible, but they said that just does not work, and they changed it, and they cut this person from uh, the show And because Joe Mannix went off on his own. He had his own you know, detective thing going. He was his own boss, so this person was no longer needed. Joseph Campanella is a person who's having a birthday today. He is 93 years old. You might remember him from a lot of TV commercials, too. Today, your car engine's greatest enemy is heat because today there's more equipment, emission controls, Power steering, air conditioners, automatic transmissions, all cause heat that may rob your motor oil of its full power to protect your engine. For your peace of mind, Quaker State urges you to change your oil as soon as your owner's manual says to. And use only a premium oil made for today's heat. For your peace of mind, specify Quaker State. That's Joseph Campanello, just one of the many, countless uh, commercials that he did. Tons of TV shows. He's worth checking out if you have the opportunity. By the way, MeTV does run Mannix very, very early in the morning. I believe it is 3 o'clock in the morning or somewhere around in there, maybe 4, I don't know. It's, it's, it's no, 2 o'clock in the morning Eastern time. And you can catch, sometimes they run season 1. You can see him on those episodes. Back to birthdays, Kimmy. Actress. Having a birthday today, tell me how old she is within five years. Here is your clue. She's been in a relationship with actor Kurt Russell since early 1983. She starred on Laugh-In from 1968 to 1970. She was in 64 episodes. Who is it? Goldie Hawn. That's right. I thought I saw in a magazine near the checkout that they are no longer. Together. Oh, wow. Ooh, really? Gone? Uh, yeah, I don't oh, know if it's no. just a rumor. No. I swear I saw that on a magazine let's in hope, the last couple of weeks. Let's hope that's fake news, right? Yeah. Yeah, let's hope it is. Have you ever seen her, by the way, in the movie Shampoo? I have never seen that movie. Yeah, I, uh, me and the American Staffordshire Terrier, that's Gotti, we were up uh, watching late night TV, and we just mm. caught that on Movies Network. I'd never seen it before with Warren Beatty. Yep. She is in it, and Carrie Fisher, it is her film debut. That's what oh, That's what wow. hooked us to see this film. I was like, wow. You know, it was, kind of, it was trippy. I, it, I, I highly recommend checking that out, especially if you like Goldie Hawn. She's fantastic in it. Mm. How old is Goldie today, Kimmy? Within five years. Hmm. 68? Goldie Hawn is celebrating her 72nd birthday today. Wow. Next person, an actress best known for roles on the TV show Knott's Landing. She played Paige Matheson on that TV show from 1986 to 93. She played Edie Britt on Desperate Housewives from 2004 to 2009. But her best film role was brief from 1985. It is the sure thing. Who is it? Kip, before you go any further, let's be honest. 
You want it. I want it. You know I want it. You don't have to me to get it. And even if you do me, you still get it. Come on, Giblet. One more time. One more time. It was so good. It was so masterful. Relentless. But with a delicate touch. Confident. Creative. I was overwhelmed. You're a true artist. Please. Can you tell me who that birthday person is, Kimmy? Nicolette Sheridan. That's correct. How old is she today within five years? Hmm. 49? She is 54 today, Kimmy. Okay. All righty, Kimmy. I think you did a fantastic job on this Tuesday. Thank you very much. And we're going to focus on trivia, something we talked about with the golden age of radio. Riley and Kimmy show. Anytime we go back in time to the Golden Age of Radio, we take that opportunity. We talked about actor Joseph Campanella being born on this date in 1924. We have a couple of examples of his Golden Age of Radio work. Fantastic examples. The first one is part of a mystery thriller kind of episode. It's called Murder to Perfection. A young woman is horrified to learn that her soon-to-be brother-in-law murdered her sister as well as his previous wife. He then proceeds to disclose his intention to act out the perfect murder with her as the star of the show. That is Murder to Perfection, starring Joseph Campanella. And it follows an episode called Mr. Chan, another mystery thriller type of program. Both of these are safe for all ears to hear, all ages. Kicking off our tribute to Joseph Campanella, here is Murder to Perfection on The Riley and Kimmy Show. Few will deny that what we call imagination is the greatest creative, yes, and destructive force known to the human race. The paintings of the Sistine Chapel existed inside the head of Michelangelo before he expressed them on canvas. Bach, Beethoven, Brahms heard their music in imagination before setting the notes to paper. This being so, you will understand how the story I am about to tell you, though bizarre, strange, macabre in the extreme, is true in every detail. Nikki, dear. Yes, Bill? It's 11.30. The funeral chapel. They'll be closing it for the night in half an hour. How about going home? Alicia looks so lifelike there in the casket. It I find it so hard to believe she's dead. I know. He murdered her, Bill. No, Nicky. Yes, he did. I know you think the sun rises and sets on your brother, but he murdered my sister. He murdered Alicia as surely as she lies dead in that coffin. Nicky, dearest, you're tired and overwrought. You've been here all day, all night. You're exhausted thinking things that simply can't be so, saying things that make no sense. Guy loved Alicia. Why, in the year of their marriage, he was the most devoted husband a wife could ask for. Oh, oh. Excuse me. Oh, Guy, come in. Bill, Nikki. I thought everyone would be gone by now, but 
I could spend a little time alone with Alicia. We were just leaving, Guy. No, I'm not. I want to be with Alicia as much as possible until she's buried tomorrow. That's exactly the way I feel. Oh, you liar. Nikki. You killed her. You murdered her in cold blood. Nikki's overtired, Guy. Over. Yes, of course, but he... But even so, I don't, I don't understand. I mean, to say a thing like that. Well, it's true. You know it is. Now, look here, Nikki. Alicia fell or jumped from our apartment window. There was no one else in the apartment at the time, not even me. I was at my office downtown, so... Just where do you get this crazy, wild idea that I killed her? I don't know. Well, you will. What do you mean? I mean that I'm going to prove that you murdered her. If it takes every cent I have in the world, if I have to dedicate the rest of my life to it... Take her home and call a doctor. She needs sedation. (laughs) Yeah. Come on, Nikki. Nikki, sweetheart, haven't you looked at her long enough? I will pay for killing you, Alicia. (laughs) I promise you that. I promise. Yes, Nikki Carpenter. Oh, hello, Jacques. No. No, I'm not ready to announce my latest designs yet. <laughs> Denim and suede gumbo. Where did you hear that? I'm sorry, Jacques. I'm not telling. Not this early. Yes, just as soon as I'm ready to announce, I'll make sure that you're the first one to know. Bye. <gasps> yes, Oh, of course. Bill, darling, what a lovely surprise. Hey, I'm not interrupting you in the midst of a creative brainstorm, am I, dear? Oh, the man I madly love and I'm going to marry could never be an interruption. But this visit is unexpected. I've got something serious to talk over with you. Uh Uh-huh. It's about my brother Guy. Yes. I, uh, well, uh, I, I find this... A little awkward, Nikki. Awkward? Why? Well, you and I are engaged, and that guy, he's my brother. So the whole situation... Nikki, have you hired a private detective agency to check up on Guy? Yes. But why? Because he murdered my sister, Alicia, and I intend to prove that he did. Come on now, Nikki. How can you go on saying such a thing, thinking such a thing? What? Whatever gave you the idea in the first place? Guy, for one. Guy? I don't like him. I never have. Charming, yes. Loaded with charm and handsome and witty. And in my opinion, a deceitful fraud. He just rubs you the wrong way. Even if everything you say is true, it doesn't make him a murderer. Well, I think differently. But you must have a reason. Something more than than just disliking someone. I have. Alicia fell or jumped to her death from the window of their 12-story apartment. Accident. Suicide, perhaps, not murder. Yes, murder. How in heaven's name can you say... Because Alicia was scared to death of heights in all her life when we were kids together. She wouldn't dare go near an open window more than two stories above the ground. So what was she doing at that open window 12 stories above the ground? I don't know. But it certainly doesn't make a murderer out of my brother. Not on the face of it, no. Guy loved Alicia. Why would he murder her? For the quarter of a million he got from her insurance. Honey, you're letting that imagination you're so famous for run away with you. I may be known for my imagination. But the private detective I hired isn't. 
What does that mean? I didn't know that Guy had lived in Europe for nearly 15 years. You never told me. It never came up. But what's that got to do with... He was out of touch with you, completely, totally out of touch all those years, right? Well, yes. I, I mean, I had no idea where he was. Or Did you he... know that he'd been married twice while living abroad? What? No. And that both wives died under what is usually called mysterious circumstances? Leaving your brother more than a half million in cash? Good Lord, no. I, I, I never knew this. Guy has never told me anything about any of this. Well, maybe you ought to ask him about it. Well, to be honest about it, Nikki, I, I, I've never cared much for Guy either. But that, that's neither here nor there. Oh, I think it is. And it certainly confirms my feelings about him. Feelings aren't facts. And it's facts that stand up in a court of law. And that's where you're going to find yourself if you don't drop this whole ridiculous thing. Guy intends to sue you if you don't. Sue you for defamation of character. And as a lawyer, I can tell you, he'd win. Hands down. Unless you could prove your accusations. Hands down. Well, then I have nothing to worry about. He murdered his first two wives. He murdered my sister. I don't know how he did it. But he did it. And before I'm through, I'll prove it. What do you want? I don't think it's a matter of what I want, but what you want. May I come in? There's nothing I want from you, Guy. Oh, you do. Believe me, you just don't know it. Yet. However, if you're not interested... No, no. Wait. Come in. I knew you'd change your mind. You seem very sure of yourself. Well, I'm sure of you, anyway. You see, Nikki, you're gifted with a vivid imagination. At least, so they say in the fashion company. Well, they have to manufacture news. They exaggerate. Oh, I don't think so. I don't think so at all. They don't exaggerate in the slightest. I just proved that. You proved it? I knew once I had something you wanted, your imagination would invent all sorts of interesting possibilities. And you'd be unable to turn me away until you found out. You're very clever. Well, what do you want? I beg your pardon. What is it I want? Well, one thing you want is peace of mind. The ability to do your work. Another thing you want is to go on living in this very swank penthouse apartment... Enjoying the fruits of the fortune you possess. Nikki, I can take all that away from you. Oh, can you? And will. Unless you, as they say, call off the hounds. The private detectives? The private detectives. There'll be no calling off of the hounds, Guy. All right. Then I shall sue you for defamation of character. Sue for every penny you possess. I have not defamed you. Neither I nor the private detectives have said a word to anyone. But I have. You? Of course. I knew you were taking precautions to keep your skirts clean until you could prove your sufficiency. So, I upset your precautions merely by dropping the right words in the right place. Amanda Jordan being one of the right places. That poor sad... Alcoholic. Alcoholic. Yes. Sad? Yes. Poor? No. Dripping with money. That's why I'm marrying her on the 10th. You are, are marrying... You object? I, I, Save your breath. Do you no good. 
The point is, being alcoholic, Amanda talks a strong. She also gets around. What you're doing to me, Nikki, or trying to do to me, is all over town this very minute and in the right places. If we went to court tomorrow, I could prove on unimpeachable evidence that you have hired detectives to dig into my past to substantiate false accusations you have made against me. Accusations, I may add, which happen to be anything but false. But you can't prove them, Nikki, and never will. Are you standing there telling me that you did? That you are? A murderer? Oh, yes. Oh. Well, you're altogether right. I did murder them, all three. Your sister Alicia included. Oh. But, you see, all three murders were so cleverly engineered and executed that no one would ever believe I had done them, let alone succeed in proving that I had. My God. To stand there and tell me, to my face, that you're a murderer, that you murdered my sister. As I shall murder Amanda Jordan. Thus executing another perfect crime. A murder to perfection, you might say. Oh. What are you doing? I'm phoning Amanda. Phoning, phoning Amanda? To tell her that I'm going to kill her? Nikki, please, don't, don't be a fool. Put the phone down. No. All right. Go ahead. Amanda. Amanda, this is Nikki Carpenter. N Nikki Carpenter. Yes. Amanda, are you... Oh. Amanda, can you understand me? Smash, I could have told you that. Amanda, listen, listen to me. That'll be the day. Amanda, please listen carefully now. Guy is here with me in my apartment. And he has just told me that he intends to murder you. Yes, I know you're going to marry him. That's the point of what I'm telling you. He's, he's... No, I'm not inventing it. I am not a jealous fool. He... <laughs> Oh, she... She didn't believe you? In her hazy, alcoholic oh, way? Oh, you are evil. You are a devil. I haven't hesitated to tell you what I do, Nikki, because there's no way ever you can prove anything. But there's every way I can prove that you've damaged my career and altogether left yourself open to what are called punitive damages. A great big lump of punitive damages. You evil... And if what I've told you fails to persuade you to call off the hounds... I can still take one more step. One more step? Kill you, Nikki. Oh. Kill you. And no one the wiser. Imagination. It plays like heat lightning in dark and ominous skies. Inside the heads of two people. Nikki Carpenter and Guy Weston, each seeking to combat, to outwit the other. The imaginative force within Nikki is good, that within Guy, evil. Certainly at the moment, it would appear that Nikki is helpless, that Guy has her where he wants her, that she must lose the battle. He win. Well, we'll see when I return shortly with Act Two. No such thing as the perfect crime. If that's what you've always thought, think again. For it certainly appears that Guy Weston knows how to murder to perfection. He's so sure of himself that he's candidly told his brother's fiancée, Nikki Carpenter, that he not only murdered her sister, but two previous wives. 
Furthermore, he's freely admitted that he intends to murder his next wife, Amanda Jordan. And may even do away with Nikki. Do you mean to say that he stood there and confessed to you? Not he... confessed. He bragged. He boasted. Flaunted their murders in my face. And said he intended to murder Amanda after they married. Oh, I can't believe this, Nikki. I just can't. He's hit on a way of committing the perfect murder. Nonsense. Bill, listen no, to me. No, Nikki, you listen to me. I don't know what's caused all this. I, I know you're overtired. I know you're knocking yourself out to get your next fashion show ready. But whatever it is, Nikki, dear, stop it. Stop what? These, these imaginings of yours, these, these wild accusations about my brother being a murderer, a perfect murderer yet. Bill, he killed Alicia. He did not kill Alicia. Alicia fell or jumped from a 12-story window when Guy was in his office miles away. So how in heaven's name could he have killed her? I don't know. That's what I'm hoping the private detective I hired will come up with. You're still using a private detective? Of course. I warned you Guy will sue you for everything you've got on grounds of slander, defamation of character, and win. I know. He told me that himself. He also said that if I push him far enough, he might even murder me. I'm... Just not going to believe this. I, I can't believe it. I'd be an absolute nut to believe it. As nutty as... It's... As, as me? Huh? Is that what you're saying? I see. Well, in that case, Bill, I think I'd better give this back. You're giving me back our engagement ring? Yes. Nikki, Nikki, you're... Letting... No, no, no. I am not... Overtired. I am not letting my imagination run away with me. I did not create or invent what I just told you about Guy coming to see me. It's true, every word of it. Nikki. Please. He will kill Amanda if I can't stop him. And he'll kill me if, as he puts it, I don't call off the hounds. Well, Bill, I may be a nut with an imagination that's running wild... But I'd say Guy wants me to call off the hounds because he's scared to death they'll run him to the ground. And I'm betting that they will. Betting everything I have. My fortune. My career. My life. You ask me, she needs a psychiatrist. She's just terribly tired, exhausted. So because she's tired, I'm supposed to let her slander me? Wreck my career, my life? Do you know that because of that crazy phone call Nikki made to Amanda, Amanda almost called off our engagement? Well, she didn't. You're married. No harm done. Hello, Amanda. Nikki. Amanda, I'm just calling to tell you that Guy's going to murder you after you're married. Now, that's a hell of a thing to say. I mean, that's just a plain hell of a thing. And when that tape is played in court... Tape? What tape? Oh. Uh, Amanda had a tape recorder hooked to her phone. Uh, automatically taped messages. She's an alcoholic, you know, and most of the time she can't remember who called her about what, so she records all conversations. Guy, do me a favor, will you? Destroy that tape and call off your suit against Nikki. Oh, Bill, I can't. The accusations she's made, everybody knows about them. Nobody believes them, of course. At least, I hope nobody believes them. But she's made a laughing stock of me. Bill, I just can't sit back and do nothing to protect myself. I suppose not. Well, thanks for your time, Guy. I'll see you. Uh, wait, 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 wait a minute. Yes? 
Oh, well, hell, you're my brother. I'll do it for you. Will? Yes, but with one proviso, Bill. Name it. One more word out of her about me. One more crazy accusation, and I'll nail her to the wall. So help me, I will. There'll be no more accusations. I'll see to that. Somehow, I'll convince her. Excuse me. Yes, Miss Mason. Captain? Of the police? Well, sure, of course put him, sir. Now, what can this be about? Yes, Captain, this is Guy Weston. You're calling from my home? Well, what are you doing? Of course I can come home right now, but what's happened? Captain, stop beating about the bush. What the hell has happened? When? What? You're sure? Yes, I'll be there as fast as I can make it. What? What? Amanda dead. Dead? Amanda? He said, the the captain, the combination of alcohol and sleeping pills. Oh. Easy. Easy. Look, I'll I'll go home with you. Yes. Please, get my hat and coat. Here, your coat. Let me help you. Thanks. Oh, Bill. I guess you know this means I can't call off my suit against Nikki. Because Amanda's dead? Nikki's accusations, everybody will believe they're true now. Well, I've got to prove they're not. I'm going through with the suit, Bill. I have no option. Wait, wait, wait a minute, Nikki. Don't close the door. Let me in. I'd as soon let in a snake. <laughs> if I was afraid of snakes, I'd want to keep an eye on them. Know what they're up to. You better let me in, Nikki. All right, Guy. Make it quick. No, don't sit down. You won't be staying that long. Oh, I think I will. I got a lot to say to you, Nikki. Well, then say it and get out. First thing I want to say is that, of course, Amanda's death was no accident. I know that. The second thing I want to say is yours won't be either. What? You've gone white. Well, I can't say I blame you. I'd be scared, too, if someone told me I was going to kill myself. Oh, I'm going to kill myself. Commit suicide, just like that. Mm -hmm. Just like that. And you're going to see to that? I am. And what reason will I have for taking my own life? Guilt. Shame. Guilt? Shame over what? Of making false accusations against a certain guy, Weston. Me. The accusations I made against you were true, not false. So why should I feel any guilt or any shame? Yeah, Nikki, you are going to murder yourself, uh, so to speak, just as my European wives did. As Alicia did. As Amanda did. Since you're going to be my next victim... I should think you'd like to know how it's all going to be accomplished. I am not in the least interested. I'm going to tell you anyway. I've said this before, and I apologize if I bore you. But I am quite possibly the only person in the world who has discovered how to commit the perfect murder. Would you believe that I found myself taking karate lessons in Japan when I was there? Now, so help me, I did. And suddenly, one day, the thought crossed my mind... If you can use an opponent's physical strength or weakness against him, why can't his mental strength or weakness be used against him as well? The answer, quite simply, is, of course, it can. 
Well, I don't see how... You will. You will, my darling. You will. Now, consider Alicia. I had only to find her weakness to ensure her death. And I did. Her weakness was agoraphobia. That's the intense fear of heights. The reason such people fear heights is because they have a powerful, often overwhelming compulsion to throw themselves off into space. Well, such was Alicia's weakness. The weakness that I turned against her. Oh. Simply by laughing at her, showing contempt for her fears, taunting her for her inability even to go near a high window. I needed her, goaded her, irritated her until to strike back at me, to prove me wrong, she would go to that 12-story window of our apartment again and again and open the window and stand looking down at the traffic far, far below and say to me, See, I can do it. Oh. And she did until the day I knew would come sooner or later, the day her nerve broke, compulsion overcame her, and she threw herself to her death. Oh, you... Right, now, wait, no, 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 oh, no, claws. Please, don't you tie your claws on. Don't you tie your claws on uh, me again. Uh, now, now, as for Amanda, her weakness was alcohol and sleeping pills. My first step in murdering her was merely to replace her pills with placebos, which, of course, had no effect. Now, when she complained... I told her she probably needed stronger sleeping pills and saw to it that she got them, along with plenty to drink, you understand. Her death was a foregone conclusion. Once again, using my victim's weakness against her, she killed herself. And I, the real murderer, remain scot-free. And I am your next victim. You are. You'll be dead within two weeks. In fact, you don't know it, but you've already written your suicide note. On this... That's one of those shirt pocket tape recorders. That is, you see, I was carrying in my shirt pocket. Everything we've said to each other since I came through that door has been recorded on this tape. Yes, but I did not record a suicide note. Correction. Uh, You will have. Once I have edited and altered the tape, then re-recorded it. I'll let you hear it. That's the least I could do. And perhaps you'd be good enough to tell me what strength or weakness of mine you intend to use against me. With you, no weakness. Strength. Which is... Come on, you know your strong point as well as I do. You tell me. My imagination... Precisely. Within two weeks or less, Nikki, you're going to be dead. Huh? Murdered. By your own imagination. by her own imagination? How in the world can that be done? Come to think of it, people have been killed by terror, by sudden fear, overwhelming panic. But it can't happen that way with Nikki. She's too strong, too self-controlled. What way, then? What plan has Guy in mind? We'll find out shortly when I return with Act Three. your imagination kill you? Murderer Guy Weston says it can, and since he's been eminently successful in doing away with a number of victims, it would appear that Nicky Carpenter is about to become his latest. He won't kill her. Oh, no, no. 
she will kill herself. The instrument of death being her own imagination. Up to now, Guy Weston has murdered to perfection. Up to now. Hello? Hello, Nikki. This is Guy. No, no, don't hang up. Oh. I want to play your suicide note to you. If you think you can scare me... Scare you? That's not my purpose at all, Nikki. I simply want to keep you in touch. Now then, here's the first step to your murdering yourself. Listen. The accusations I made against Guy Weston were false. I feel guilt, shame. I'm going to kill myself. Commit suicide. There it is, Nikki. Your suicide note in your own voice, recorded by you on the tape recorder, that will be found in your apartment. You vile, evil... Bye for now, Nikki. <gasps> now, Nikki... Bill. Oh, Bill, you've got to help me. You've well, got to... Of course, to... of course I will, sweetheart. I'm so sorry I broke our engagement. That was stupid of me. But I was so upset and frustrated. Don't but you that... think I realize that? <laughs> the nice thing about a broken engagement is that it's easily repaired by putting the ring back on the girl's finger. Now hold out that pretty hand of yours, young lady. Oh, Bill. And now a kiss <laughs> to make sure the repair holds. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a repair that'll hold forever. It will, my darling, it will. Now then. New fashion season or no new fashion season, you're going to take a week off. A week off? At least a few days. Get away from work, out from all the pressure you've been under. Bill, what are you saying? I'm saying that I'm going to take you up to my place on the lake for a long weekend. See that you rest, relax, and recuperate from the heavy workload you've been... What is it? You haven't believed a word I said. Well, now, Nikki... No, everything I've told you. Guy admitting he's a murderer... Saying he's going to see that I kill myself, the fake suicide note he tricked me into taping. You don't believe any of that. Nikki, sweetheart, we've been through all this. But you broke your engagement to me because of it. Now, don't... Please, will you believe me? Will you please believe that what I'm telling you is true? Your brother Guy is a murderer. He murdered my sister Alicia by tricking her into jumping out of a window. And he murdered Amanda... As he said he would, and as I told you he would... Amanda died from combining alcohol with sleeping pills. Sleeping pills that were any number of times stronger than anything she ever took before. Your brother murders people by tricking them into murdering themselves. And he has told me that he's going to do the same to me. By maneuvering you into killing yourself with your own imagination? Mickey, be reasonable. You know you'll do no such thing. Sure, sure, you're a highly imaginative woman, but you're also a very practical, down-to-earth woman. If only I could convince you Let that... me convince you of something. Convince you that one of the best things you could possibly do would be to... Yes? To what? Have dinner with me tonight and go to the theater afterward. Oh, Bill. <laughs> Look, I'll pick you up at 6.30. Cocktails, dinner, and any play or musical you want to see. Date? Oh, bait. Oh, uh, excuse me. 
My name is Bill Weston, and I believe I have a date for dinner in the theater with a very charming young woman. <laughs> yes, you have. And is she ready? Just about. All she has to do is put on her hat and gloves. Not before she gives her husband to be a kiss. What? Spoil my makeup? Uh-uh. You have to wait till we get back. Ah, something to look forward to. <laughs> hey, snazzy hat. You do something for us. <laughs> Thank you. Ow! What's that? Ooh. There's something in the finger of this glove. Look, my finger's bleeding. Let me see. Oh, your finger's cut. Well, how could I possibly cut my finger on a glove? Oh, just a sec. Turn the glove inside out. Oh. Well, how did this get inside your glove? What? What is it? I don't see it. Oh, it's so small. You can't hardly see it. A, a, a tiny bit of glass. Oh, how could anything like that get inside my glove? I don't know, but... Oh, dear. Excuse me. Hello? Guy, Nicky. Yes? Brother Bill told me he's taking you to dinner in the theater tonight. So what of it? Nicky, don't wear gloves tonight. Don't wear... Oh, oh dear. I'm too late. You've already put them on, have you? And cut your finger? Yes. Oh, well, just a scratch. I mean, nothing to worry about. Unless the bit of glass inside your glove was poisoned. Poisoned? Hello? Hello? Honey, what is it? He hung up. Who? Your brother Guy. My murderer. Nikki. Hmm. How do you feel? Sick. My headaches. My stomach's upset. But if Dr. Wells said he could discover no signs of poison... He won't be sure until he's tested the blood sample he took. Why doesn't he fall here into the barrel. I'll run to the doctor. Hello? Yes, doctor. Oh, good, good. Well, doctor, we appreciate your coming over and all you've done. Thanks again, doctor. Not a trace of poison, Nikki. Well, then why do I feel so awful? I guess because you thought you might have been poisoned. <laughs> but you weren't, honey... It was just all in your... Say it, Bill. It was all in my... imagination. Then you admit, Guy, you admit you telephoned Nicky last night. What is this, Bill? Some kind of inquisition? You walk into my office the first thing in the morning and start shooting questions at me as if I... as if I were guilty of something. Yes! I did phone Nicky last night. What about it? What did you phone her about? To tell her I was withdrawing the suit I brought against her for defamation of character. You are withdrawing it? Yeah, I know. I said I'd have to go through with it, but... Well, you are my brother. And she is your fiancée, and oh... Well, hell, I just, I just couldn't go through with it, that's all. And that's what you phoned her about? What else would I phone her about? Well? Forget it, guy. Forget it. It's three in the morning. Who can be calling? Hello? Nikki. Listen. The accusations I made against Guy Weston were false. I feel guilt, shame. I'm going to kill myself. Commit suicide. Pleasant dreams, Nikki. Pleasant dreams. Oh, no. 
Carpenter, I created the Nicky Carpenter collection and not you. Nicky, oh, shut up! I've heard enough out of all of you. Now, you listen to me. When I ask for black muslin, I want black muslin. And when I ask for white file, I want white file. I don't care what your reason is. Don't change my orders. Now, get out of here, all of you. A lot of you. Get out. Get out. Oh, gosh, I'm sorry. Please. Please, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Please. Please. Yes? Yes, put him through. Yes, Dr. Welsh. Well, I'm worried about her, too. She's not sleeping, not eating, a bundle of nerves. I'm wondering if you could recommend a good psychiatrist. Why? Because I think she's in need of psychiatric help. Certainly come to see you. When? Right. Be in your office in half an hour. Hello. Three in the morning and you answer at once? Uh, Not sleeping, Nicky? Oh, what do you want? Question is, what you want. What your imagination has brought you to wanting. I won't listen to you. No need. Listen to your imagination. That's what you've been doing. Imagining how, just quite how, you'll reach the point where you'll kill yourself. You, myself? The gun is in the drawer of your night table. Oh. Save yourself a lot of agony, Nikki. Use it. Tonight. Now. brother. 
What are you talking about? I was there in Nikki's apartment when you called and told her about the gun. I heard every word on the phone extension. I made a point of staying with her constantly. After a little conference I had with Dr. Welsh, Nikki's physician, who convinced me that she was as sane as I am, living on the edge of nerves, nerves rubbed raw, driven to the end of her rope, her emotional rope, and imagining things. You were there when I phoned? Oh, more to it than that guy. I went to your place, found the original tape, the one you recorded her suicide note from. You're lying. Am I? You couldn't have found the original tape. I destroyed it. Then there was an original. What? Uh, you just admitted there was an original tape from which you recorded, edited, altered, and re-recorded Nikki's suicide note. All right. All right, you're so bloody damn smart. All right. I did kill her the way I killed the others, by, by using their weaknesses, their strengths, so they would kill themselves. So do me something. Huh? Prove something. So I slipped. I admitted there was an original tape, so what? Who heard me say it? You? Me? Her? She's dead. No, God. I'm alive. I'm very much alive. Mickey? You have been tricked this time. I did not kill myself. It was all faked. Once I was convinced Nikki was telling the truth, trapping you guy was simple. Trapping me? You haven't trapped me. But we have. You've admitted everything. Who heard me? You? Her? And you, guy. You. You think I'd testify against myself in a court of law? Testify against myself? As a matter of fact, you will. You're crazy. But this isn't. A tape recorder. A shirt pocket tape recorder. You used this same little device to drive Nikki to suicide and failed. I'll use it to send you to jail. And Guy, I'll succeed. And so, imagination. This time, not only Nikki's, but Bill's imagination. The most powerful force on earth, for good or ill brings an insidiously clever murderer to ground. Our cast included Mercedes McCambridge, John Newland, and Joseph Campanella. The entire production was under the direction of Hyman Brown. Until next time, pleasant dreams. Tyson. Over here! Get that hose over here! We don't want the whole neighborhood to go! Inside the burning structure, there's a man named Chan. Why doesn't he come out? No one can answer that question but Mr. Chan. We can only sift through the clues that a look at his life might offer us. A master tailor, Mr. Chan fled from bandits, disease, and famine in his native China in 1928. He and his sister, the last living members of their family. In America, the mountain of gold, Sarah married a doctor named Shin and moved to San Francisco's Chinatown. Mr. Chan worked at a series of odd jobs, saved his money, and in 1933 moved to New York where he opened his own tailor shop. 
The logic behind his move was that people in the East, dealing with cold weather, would have more clothes to sew. Such a shame, the rushing. The seasons change, but the people never do. Always rushing. Where are they going? They never seem to pause for a deep breath or to look closely at anything as I look at my sewing machine. Gadgets. They have a gadget for everything. Some piece of machinery to occupy every moment of the day. Cars, televisions, radios, telephones, toys. Junk. They realize deep down that they are surrounded by junk. And it makes them feel aimless and dissatisfied. Yes, that would give one a feeling of having no purpose, no goal in life to be surrounded by and addicted to junk. How strange. Is this becoming a world in which I want to live? And that's just the beginning of our story. while there's still time. What reasons could he offer for allowing himself to be trapped? Once more, we must turn to clues in the past for an answer. We must listen carefully to the threads in the fabric of Mr. Chan's life. Mr. Chan made an oblique study of the woman as she barged through the door. 35, 38... Dyed blonde hair, too much perfume and lipstick, about 15 pounds overweight. An insecure exhibitionist. She tossed four expensive-looking dresses onto the Formica sales counter and drummed her bright green polished nails as she impatiently waited. Are you the owner? He leveled a neutral look at her and eased from his seat behind the sewing machine to stand behind the waist-high counter. The alcoholic fumes spraying his face almost caused him to step backwards. I said, are you the owner? Yes, I am the owner. What can I do for you? A slight smile played at the wrinkled corners of his softly slanted eyes. She was obviously surprised to hear his clear, precise English. Well, I'd, uh, I'd like to have some seams let out in these dresses. You can do that, can't you? He fingered the label inside the neck of one of the dresses. Well-known American designer... Good fabric, excellent workmanship. Yes, of course. I can expand the seams. They looked at each other across the counter. She, slightly taller than his five-six, looked at a spot above his head, her eyes blurry from vodka. Well, how long will it take? Perhaps it would not be necessary to let seams out in these dresses if you lost, uh, oh, I would say ten or twelve pounds. She glared at him. Her lips curled down hatefully at the corners, and she snatched her dresses from the counter. And just who the hell do you think you are? Mr. Chan leaned across the counter and rested his body on his elbows, watching the woman throw her dresses under the back seat of a small, expensive Italian car and wedge herself into the front seat. People, don't they ever consider the possibility of being reasonable before acting irrationally?
He shook his head sadly and strolled to his living area at the rear of the shop to heat more water for tea. Erect, steady, thoughtful. I wonder what goes wrong with some people. Why must they always seek the most incorrect ways to deal with their shortcomings? He returned to his machine, cradling a fresh cup of tea in his palms. A sarcastic expression flickering across his face as he spotted his other teacup on his work table. <laughs> and I talk about other people. How many cups are needed for one cup of tea? He took the empty cup to his kitchen sink. No sense cluttering things up with a bunch of empty cups. Imagine a young woman, certainly not older than 40, making preparations to become a fat person. Working steadily on the coat in front of him, he slipped in and out of a varied collection of thought patterns. A loyal Chinese son from 1 to 20, a victim of famine at 20, a married man at 25, a widower at 45. Ghosts. Fifteen years since her death. Fifteen long years since her death. Since... He could not remember what he wanted to remember. His ghost wife swirling around too swiftly for his mind to grasp. He steered his attention back to the cloth in front of him. Stitching, gluing the pieces of cloth together was always a return to reality. A wealthy customer... A rich man who loved handmade silk shirts had asked him once... M Mr. Chan, don't you get fed up sometimes? Fed up? Yeah, fed up. You know, sewing all the time. He smiled, remembering, and stared out of the window for a moment. How could you explain to someone who only cared about finished products what it means to create, to stitch a reality together? The same man had also asked, Mr. Chan, have you ever considered opening a shop downtown? This, this neighborhood has changed so much. What do you mean, changed? Well, you know, the class of people that used to live in this neighborhood have all moved, including me. <laughs> I don't see any difference. Well, what I mean... Oh, I know what you mean. I've seen the color of the people change, but I'm still the same. I have not changed. He finished the suit coat, turned the closed sign around to the outside, locked the door, and prepared himself a lunch of pork strips with bean paste, a bowl of rice, and, as always, hot tea. He used his chopsticks as though they were surgical instruments. After his meal, he slouched against the back of his favorite chair sighed deeply, and calmly looked around. The shop was all he needed. The shop and the living space behind it was his world. He believed that and was content. With his wife, Mr. Chan had had a home because she felt it was a necessity. She had been a source of strength and hope, but each one of the children had been born dead, three of them. And then she had died. Now there was only the shop, a facade, a counter to use for the defensive position, a wall of racks on one side, and five paces behind the counter, a heavy carved dragon screen that shielded his inner sanctum from the public. He dug into his pocket with one precise motion and pulled out a thumbnail-sized piece of jade, a gift from his father 40 years earlier. 
He held the piece up to the light streaming in through his window, turning it over to follow the dragon marbled inside. After a few moments of intense study, he slipped the jade back into his pocket. Old men, old jade, what does it matter in this day and age? Time to go back to work. He strode from the back and stiffened with mock seriousness when he spotted Leo's face at the door. Hi. What you doing, Mr. Chan? Hello, Leo. How are you this afternoon? Leo did an eye-blurring double shuffle, a perfect imitation of his idol, Muhammad Ali. I'm doing pretty good. Like, hey, life couldn't be better. I could have more of it, but it couldn't be better. Mr. Chan frowned at the small, tight-muscled, dark-skinned, nappy-headed figure making restless movements in front of him. What will happen to him? Blacks are almost Chinese in their will to survive. He lives three blocks away with seven brothers and sisters in a basement that was once a dog kennel. Life couldn't be better. You want me to go shopping for you, Mr. Chan? Mr. Chan slowly nodded yes and walked behind the counter to scribble out a few items on a piece of scratch paper. He strongly suspected that Leo couldn't read, but his will to hustle was worth a half dollar. Leo made a Brazilian dance movement through the door with the five-dollar bill clutched in one hand, the note for six items in the other. A half hour later, he danced back in. Here it is, Mr. Chan. Your tea and stuff. He checked the items off against the list under Mr. Chan's indulgent eyes onto the work table, not exactly matching each item on the list with that on the table. Letters were still not quite words to him. Rice, tea, two apples... Head of lettuce, chicken wings, and soy sauce. Thank you, Leo. There are two quarters on my sewing machine ledge for you. The bright voice chiming in his ears told him that he had lifted Leo's spirits. At least a half dollar's worth. People were always coming in with their cleaning, their laundry, or their stereotype notions. Uh, Mr. Chan, uh, do you know uh, anything about... Kung Fu, or, or, or acupuncture, or, or herbal medicine? Oh, and wasn't Bruce Lee something else? No, no, young man. I know absolutely nothing about any of those arts. I believe you have asked me these questions before. Oh. The tall, slender, dark-haired young man shuffled absently in place, fumbling in the back of his mind for some means to use to get Master Chan to speak the Tao. Uh, I'd like to, I'd like to have some buttons sewn. Where? Oh, uh, uh, buttons for suspenders. I'm, I'm going to wear suspenders with these. They, they say it's better for your lower back and all. Do you think? You may pick them up tomorrow. Oh, oh, thank you, sir. Oh, thank you very much. He held back his urge to laugh as he watched the young man bow a little too deeply as he backed out. Suddenly everything is oriental. Mysticism, martial arts, flower arranging, food... Oh, well, at least they have not tried to deal with the complications of Chinese opera yet. At twilight, he locked the door to the shop and retreated to his living space. For relaxation, 106 Taiji positions. For stimulation, the daily newspaper. He slowly lowered the newspaper after reading a few pages, his face distorted with disgust. Fools. The same old dreary sickness, the same old dumb acts, wars, people doing the same old stupid things. Won't we ever learn? He looked carefully around himself at his world. What need is there to go outside into that insane place? 
I have a large room with a toilet off to one side, ten shelves of the world's greatest minds, an old-fashioned stove with an overhung shelf, a comfortable bed, a window. His eyes paused at the high window placed in the rear wall. The window gave a perfectly cropped picture of a tree. The tree, more than any other single thing he could think of, gave him a feeling of being in harmony with nature. A place in front to make a living, a place in back to eat, sleep, read, a window. What else is necessary? So much unnecessary excitement in the world, people ignoring the wealth in their minds, searching instead for artificial entertainment. As usual, when he felt himself on the verge of becoming too excited, he heated water for tea. Sometimes, while waiting for the water to boil, he felt himself becoming so lucid that it seemed as though life were passing in front of his mind, and he could take an imaginary red pencil and cross out all of the weird, repetitious mistakes people were making. Do I think I am God? Hmm? assuming that we can feel that we know by now something of Mr. Chan's view of life? I would say yes. But we still haven't had an answer to our question. Why doesn't he come out? 6.30, Tai Chi Chuan, tea, and two slices of day-old bread with margarine for breakfast. He moves more slowly in the morning, having recognized years ago that he was an afternoon person. He stared at the budding branches crowding his window frame. In a few more days, they will be fully open. Wednesday, only two more days before the weekend, before I can close up and not be bothered for two whole days. An imploring face, making fish-like motions with his mouth through the glass of the front door, greeted him as he emerged from his living area. Uh, looks like someone needs emergency repairs. He carefully studied the face to make certain that it was anxiety and not larceny that he saw. It was anxiety. Twenty-some-year-old man, bloodshot blue eyes, a weak chin, nervous, and insecure attitude. So begins my day. And what can I do for you this morning, young man? Mr. Uh, uh, Mr. The name is Chan. Uh, Mr. Chan, you won't believe this. It may sound absolutely incredible to you. He took note of the hand-sewn kangaroo-hide loafers, the well-tailored slacks, the well-stitched seams of the French-made shirt. His conclusion? A wealthy person. I can assure you nothing has sounded incredible to me for a long time. The young man, a Lawrence of the Evanston Northwestern University Lawrences, paused to fix a shrewd eye on Mr. Chan's face. Well, uh, in that case, here's my problem. I'm being pledged to Alpha Pi Gamma. Mr. Chan rolled his eyes upward and shrugged, body language that clearly indicated what his attitude towards Alpha Pi Gamma was. Yeah, I know it's nonsense, but it's the fraternity for my, uh, set. I mean, you're either in it or you're out of it, if you know what I mean. Yes. Well, I just gotta be in. My dad and uncle were officers in Pi Gamma when they were in college. Well, at any rate, I have ten challenges to meet. This is number six. 
What I have to do is have a suit made by Friday at 6 o'clock. You speak of this as a challenge. I don't quite understand. <laughs> oh, a challenge number six is to have a Chinese tailor who didn't live in Chinatown to make me a suit. They call it my Hong Kong challenge. I'm really fortunate to have found you. It was difficult for Mr. Chan to place the feeling he had. Just another piece of tailoring, that was no problem. Maybe he reasoned the disturbing part of it had to do with the young man being required to seek out a Chinese tailor. The challenge, phrased as though some coolie were being used to carry it out. It will cost you $400. Uh, it'll definitely be ready by Friday at 5? Definitely. Great. Now let us make a choice of material. Whatever you choose is okay. See you Friday. I gotta run. Challenge number 7 lies ahead. Mr. Chan stared at the four $100 bills on the counter and at the bolts of cloth he kept underneath the counter and sadly shook his head from side to side. The rich, too bad about some of them. They think they can buy anything and have everything their way. He split the money into two piles, one pile for the legitimate cost of the suit and the other pile for other purposes. Maybe I'll send it to my sister in San Francisco. She likes money. He stooped to lift the bolt of old-fashioned gingham from beneath the counter, a sly smile sliding across his brain. Wonder how his fraternity brothers will like this suit. The pattern for a futuristic coat with zoot suit pants was already taking shape in his mind. <laughs> Mr. Chan didn't object to Nona Benson's presence in his shop. He liked her company, despite the fact that she had a peculiar, almost funny notion about him. On the positive side, they were both artists. She with her patchwork quilts. The problem that he had with her was that she loved to talk too much. Coupled to that was the notion that she didn't think that he understood English very well, which forced her, she thought, to lapse into her own brand of pigeon. He had decided not to try to fight her mistaken opinion of his language skills years back. Even when customers came in while she was there and he spoke perfectly normal English, she still refused to believe that he spoke perfectly normal English. Why you no go to night school? Learn English. You know what me saying? Oh, I have thought... Did your wife speak it? I say, you wife, she English speak? He paused in his work. Did she speak English? Had she spoken English? They'd always spoken to each other in Mandarin, whenever they spoke at all. Yes, he recalls she had spoken English, more or less. See? Now that's what I mean. You hear what I'm asking, but you don't understand. I can tell from the look on your face. I repeat what I said real slow. Now listen close. You white English speak, huh? Yes, my wife. Good, that's good. All you have to do is practice. After a while, it'll be easier. You'll see. I guess it's time for me to get on. Get my housework done. Do a little quilt. You quilting? Mm-hmm. I've been really up to my neck in quilts for the last few months. Bunch of ladies at my church, especially the younger ones, got it in their heads they just had to have a homemade quilt. They seem to think it's some kind of artwork or something. Ain't too many people do that kind of thing these days. Ain't really too much to it. All it takes is just sitting down, and after you get your materials together, just taking your time to put things together right. Yes. You take it easy, huh? Think about that school thing. 
Remember, you're only as old as you feel. She sprinkled her fingers gracefully at him as she strolled out of the shop, calmly, unrushed. Her voice seemed to echo in the shop. He paused in his work. School. She always seems to leave something behind, some thought, an idea. School. The young lady standing at his side caught him off guard, having popped through the open door while his attention was elsewhere. He hated to have people catch him daydreaming, thinking about the past or future. It gave them the impression, he thought, that he might be senile. Uh, Mr. Chan? Yes? Uh, my name is Monique Feldman. He stared at the young woman's hand. He had not shaken a woman's hand in years, and never a Chinese woman's hand. Or was she Japanese? Her handshake was firm, her palm warm. Oh, I know. You're puzzled by my name. My husband is Jewish. He nodded slightly to indicate that he understood her explanation, but was still puzzled. Is she Japanese, Chinese, Thai, or what? So tall for an Oriental. Hard to figure out what's what with this younger generation. Mr. Chan, our agency, the new Asian-American Alliance, is doing a citywide survey to determine the number of Asian senior citizens and find out how we can be of service to them. He felt tempted to invite her to have some tea with him. It was so nice to meet someone who cared about others. I do not need any help of any kind, Mrs. Feldman. Thank you. She seemed to be depressed for a moment, and then her face brightened. Well, I'd like to leave my card, just in case. The New Asian Alliance would like to help in any way we can. You see, we help secure health services and provide you with domestic aid if necessary, offer you meal tickets that can be used at the Asian Alliance Center. The address is here on the card. And we'll also provide you free transportation to the senior citizens' outing that we sponsor twice a month. All you have to do is give us a call, and we'll try to do whatever we can. Uh, my name is in the upper left-hand corner. Uh, thank you, Mrs. Feldman. Well, thank you for being kind enough to allow me to disturb your work. My pleasure. She surprised him by bowing, an expression that stamped her in his mind as a well-bred young person with a sense of tradition. He studied her as she strode out of the shop. Legs like a white woman. Taller than all the women of my generation. Very businesslike, honest, sincere. The new Asian-American alliance. Wonder what happened to Oriental? Oh, well, new times, new titles. Really nice of people to think of other people. No doubt in my mind, with her good manners, she must be Chinese. That evening, he had gone through a half-dozen unreasonable situations, including a visit from two men who insisted that he buy a transistor radio for $50. Oh, come on, Pops. We know you got some money. Yeah, we know you got some money. All we want is $50. You give us 50 bucks for this cute little old radio here, and we won't be bugging you no more. How dare you come into my shop and threaten me? Get out! Get out, both of you, and stay out! Hey, don't push. Be cool, man. Yeah, be cool. We were just trying to sell a little merchandise. Out, out, out! That evening, he sat in his favorite chair and stared through his window at the paleness of the moon, the freshly budded branches making dragon patterns in the foreground, mentally flicking back through the horrible designs a woman had asked him to sew. But, lady, don't you see drawstrings or thick elastic at that point of the legs would hinder circulation? Clothes should not constrict. I hardly see the point. After all, this is the 20th century, and people no longer dress for comfort. People dress for style. 
Yes, unfortunately, that is too often the case. I am sorry I cannot join the fashion parade. I believe more in people than fashion. He leaned forward in his chair, identified the noise. The wino ghosts are starting to drink at my back door an hour earlier these days. He shuffled away from his chair to heat water for tea, poured himself a cup, and returned to his chair, feeling old and tired. So many crazy people running around. Maybe it's the food they eat that drives them crazy, all of the stuff with sugar in it. Too much false energy. They bounce around like rubber balls, the children worst of all. Some people eat too much, some people eat too little. What is so difficult about practicing moderation in all things? Telephone slaves, crazy wars between people of the same race, religion, and color, and wars between people of different races, religions, and color, all the same, stupid the old against the young, young against the old, the top against the bottom, and vice versa. And they excuse it by saying, that's the way it's always been. Fools. So much unnatural pain in the world. People have forgotten what real pain is. The pain you have when a loved one dies, or you stick a needle in your thumb... They have developed synthetic pain, pain that they deliberately cultivate and try to treat with pills. Strange drugs that cause more pain than they cure. He placed his teacup beside his chair and pulled his jade piece from his pocket. It felt cool to his touch. What in the world happened? In my lifetime, a 60-year-old man, I have seen life lose its meaning. The rich have more and the poor have less. Of what? Money or madness? What does it matter? We, all of us, are being murdered by the air we breathe every day. Even the babies. A breeze stirred the branches in front of the full moon, rippling a lovely jagged pattern within the picture frame of his window. He rubbed the smooth jade between his right thumb and forefinger, the moonshine glistening on the tears that slid down over his high cheekbones. All right. Check all the floors, boys, and the basement, wherever you can work safely. Someone has said the seed for at least one contradictory act rests in all of us. There are people who seem to be living an exemplary life one day and become murderers the next day, offering us no obvious clues for their behavior. Mr. Chan, a sane, logical, and very humane individual, may have suffered at the last minute from a contradictory impulse. Each of us can reach our own conclusion. Only Mr. Chan really knows. Cicely Tyson again with the concluding act of Mr. Chan. Oh, that's a superb job, sir. Really superb. There's just something about the oriental sense of aesthetics, you know, of the yin and yang that makes... Uh, um... Mr. Chan fixed a blank expression on his face and stared past the pale young man 
immediately realizing that he had made a mistake. If I stare past him trying to blot him out, he'll think I'm being inscrutable or that I'm meditating or something. Damned if I do, damned if I don't. Uh, if you recall, Mr. Chan, Layout say one said... That will be two dollars, please. Mm -hmm. Oh, oh, yes, two, two dollars. Oh, uh, thank you, sir. I, I hope we can talk again sometime. I find that I know a little more each time we talk. You, you recall the proverb from the Tao, he who speaks does know, and he who does not speak... No, no I mean, no, he, he who speaks does not know. Mr. Chan pocketed the payment and folded his arms across his chest, momentarily forgetting the sage-like image that was projected by that gesture as he watched the young man bow out of the door. He had to grip himself inside to keep from laughing as the young man bowed back in. Oh, I, 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 I forgot my pants. The comical customer gone, the urge to laugh gone, he stood behind the counter, his arms still crossed, watching people enter and exit the picture frame of his shop window. They are like robots on a treadmill. The thought depressed him so badly, he sat immobilized at his machine for five minutes before he could get back into the spirit of sewing. Whether they knew it or not, the door of Mr. Chan's shop was the stage entrance for his customers. His moment to grasp their rhythms, form a notion of how they felt about themselves and him. He had started joking with himself in his 50th year about painting another sign under R. Chan. Door Psychologist. They revealed themselves when they walked into his space. In the colder months, it was more difficult to figure things out because people and their vibrations took time to thaw. Spring and summer were rich times for Dorology. Some people peeked into his shop through the screen door in the summer. He hesitated to put the screen up until the flies became too annoying, as though they were looking into a tunnel. Others opened the door and staggered in, not quite certain of their reasons for being there or anywhere. The black people in the neighborhood tended to ignore him, to them, he was simply Chan, the Chinese tailor man, Miss Nona Benson's friend. They didn't want any suits made, and they did their own sewing. The Puerto Ricans also ignored him, but from time to time, shyly asked him to put a communion dress together. Those Asians who patronized him, even the non-Chinese, showed deep respect for a man of his age who practiced a religion that needed no preaching and was a master of his art. He had problems sometimes with a certain type, the kind of people who had recently acquired money in some odd way and thought it would be in to have a masterpiece from Mr. Chan. The more he suffered from their attention, the more in he became. The others were just like everybody else. They simply wanted someone to put something together that they were too lazy or didn't know how to do themselves. He stopped stitching to give his full attention to the figure standing in the half-open door. The fraternity brother-to-be, dressed in a little boy blue outfit, complete with ruffled shirt, straw bonnet, and a sun-sized all-day sucker. He looked ridiculous and knew it. Oh, this outfit. Uh, this is one of my challenges. Uh, now, uh, my suit. You've got my suit done? Yes, I have it right under here. Here you are. The fraternity brother-to-be stared at the narrow cuffs, the ballooned knees, the bullfighter's waistband, the zoot suit coat with the narrow lapels, and blinked. I, uh... I didn't specify what style or what kind of material, did I? No, no, you did not. You were in a rush. I had to make a guess at your measurements. 
I must tell you, I almost decided not to do the work, but I promised I would have you a suit this evening, so here it is. I'm sure to create a sensation one way or another. <laughs> Maybe they'll see the funny side of it, I hope. At any rate, my Hong Kong challenge has been met. Perhaps I could drop back in and pick out the material for a couple of suits one day when I got lots of time. Any weekday, my shop is at your disposal. I am open from 7.30 till 4 in the winter... 8.30 to 6 in the spring, summer, and fall. Oh, great. See ya. He felt a slight tinge of affection for the fraternity brother-to-be, for the sensible way he had chosen to deal with the gingham horror suit joke. Alpha Pi Gumbo, ra, ra, ra. Friday evening, the shop door locked, his chair positioned in the twilight room to study the moon play through the budding branches, two days older since he had last noticed them. He rocked slightly, intoxicated by the luminous ray that washed over his frail body, his life flashing through all the seasons he had sat staring at the moon. Scenes of a China the world would never know again flickered through his mind. Ghosts, thousands of people in a line, their rice bowls held out begging for food for a chance to live. Coolies, men with bitter strength, Hauling loads on their backs that an animal would crumple under. Faces so lean from hunger that the bones of the skull show through the skin. No food of any kind. Grass, bark from the trees, leaves, all eaten. Famine. Diseases, people starving to death, burning with fever. Mother, father, older brother, dead, cremated. Someone trying to break in? Hey, look like I'm on the line, man. He leaned back in his chair, his body alert, but relaxed. <laughs> just why no ghosts? Nothing to worry about. They are just killing themselves. He pulled the jade piece from his pocket and rubbed it in his hand. He strained to see a slow-moving herd of clouds pass between the budding branches and the moon. Coming out of a deep sleep a half hour later, the blurred outline of a bad dream still in his brain, he could smell something wrong. Money, always money. People robbing other people for it, stealing, cheating, doing anything for it. For coins and paper that never grow warmer, no matter how many hands touch them. It was smoke. He could identify the odor of the cloth scraps he threw in the alley trash cans. For a moment, he stiffened from the impulse to get out of his chair to escape the approaching fire. The wisps of smoke drifting up past his window held him in place. The farther up the scale we go, the more unlike animals we become. At least animals are honest with each other. He squeezed his eyes shut, tried to blot out all of the horrible pictures his mind held. Maybe they have all been bad dreams, all of them, all of it. For a moment... He felt completely divided, one part of himself straining to move to safety from the fire, the other part straining not to move. The two forces neutralized him. A stone facade and a wooden body of poor quality. Dishonest workmanship. The small neighborhood group milling around outside Mr. Chan's gutted shop swelled with excitement as an ambulance crew wheeled his body out of the smoking wood and stone, the damp odor of wool adding another element. 
Leo, his dancing feet planted solidly on the sidewalk, sobbed quietly, tears tracing clear patterns down the sides of his young old face. (laughs) Mrs. Nona Benson, a flowered handkerchief held to her face, mumbled over and over through her tears. I've been telling him the learning for the longest time. Maybe he didn't want to learn any more than he already knew. Mr. Chan was written by Odie Hawkins, produced and directed by Fletcher Markle. Your hostess was Cicely Tyson. Our stars were Joseph Campanella and Marvin Miller. Featured in the cast were Paula Winslow, Don Diamond, Lou Horn, Corey Burton, Mady Norman, and Don Blakely. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, full work limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.